Hey fellow tennis nerds and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast. This time I talk to Andrew from Prospect Customization, a keen tennis nerd and customizer who has some really strong opinions about rackets and swing weights, balance and, and so on. We get really deep down the rabbit hole of swing weights and prospects and if you're into these kind of things you should definitely listen to this over one hour long podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening and over to the podcast. All right. So, uh, hi, Andrew, and um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you're a big racket and tennis nerd uh, like myself. Uh, so how did you get into this stuff uh, from the beginning? Yeah, well, uh, I was a pretty good level player myself. I uh, played in college. I played Division One tennis. Uh, and now I'm a coach. Uh, I coached at a, a tennis academy for almost a year and now I coach um, I coach at a club and uh, yeah just been studying racket uh, specifications how they kind of impact how a person uh, plays and uh, what would be optimal spe- uh, specifications for a specific player do you do that kind of from all levels like I mean do you, the level you coach at and and, and upwards I think uh, I think anybody can really benefit from a properly customized racket if they have the basics down. So if they if they've uh, trained a little bit, if they play some tournaments, if they have an understanding of how they're trying to play, then we can get benefit out of customizing a racket for them. Yeah, that's that's uh, something I agree with as well. I think the racket plays. I mean, it doesn't play all the difference. I mean, technique, fitness, all that stuff is is more important in general. Being but a fantastic athlete is crucial. Having fantastic movement, being able to control your emotions, have good practices, and improve. But the correct in- equipment is also massively important because it gives you confidence to take all those attributes and to put it into into form. I, I completely agree. I mean, it's it's those things are. Uh, key and and obviously I, I would put racket kind of at the lower part of the prior list, but it's it's still there and it's it's something that people kind of underestimate. I think in general. I mean, there's no question that um, you know a better tennis player is going to win usually, like which has a, you know a combination of all those factors. And actually, a better tennis player with better technique is going to be able to control the variables better, like their racket. But mm-hmm. that being said, but that being said, a good player is always going to play more confident with a racket that actually fits their game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it it also kind of helps your if you have a racket that suits your style and technique, it's it's going to get more out of you uh, and it's going to be a better fit because it becomes kind of an extension of your of your body in the end, you know, because that's the only tool you have. So if that feels perfect, I think it's going to help you optimize the rest as well. Uh, and and like myself, when we talked before, you said that you've been one of the, uh, one of these uh, constant racket switchers. Uh, I, I'm I'm suffering from that <laughs> plague myself, and it, that turned into tennis nerd. Uh, what's your story of, of constantly switching frames? So growing up, uh, first couple rackets, obviously my parents were kind of choosing for me um, because you don't really have a feel for what you like, so you just kind of use whatever is put into your hands. So kind of the first racket, um, like adult racket that I was using was a, a 6195 team. And um, I mean, it's it's different nowadays, even like 10 years later, five, 10 years later, in that uh, many of the rackets for younger players, like the lighter versions and all that stuff, they don't have 1820s anymore. 
So, um, you know, people that grow up with 1619s, then they're just comfortable with 1619s throughout their whole entire tennis life. But I uh, started with a 6195, which was an 1820 string pattern, uh, and it was the team version, uh, and it had a 311 swing weight. Um, and then I switched to an 1620 racket, which was the BLX Tour 95, and it was actually an extended frame. It was a 27 and a quarter. Um, and it had a swing weight of 322. And I switched to the newer version of that, which actually was pretty similar, had a little bit of a higher swing weight, but it was still in the 320s. And that was like in my first couple years of high school. And when I really started catching up and uh, being at the top of my, uh, of my section in, uh, in the USTA uh, was when I switched to the XO3 Tour 100, which was a much bigger head size. Uh, much lower flex racket. In fact, one of the lowest flex rackets, you know, that had been released since the modern frames came out. It had a 52 flex and um, it had a 322 swing weight. And that frame like really complemented my style. I was trying to build, gave me a lot of feel, allowed me to uh, hit off the court, accelerate with my forehand, play kind of modern tennis. And, uh, and that's really when I started playing my best tennis, which was uh, junior year of high school uh, into senior year of high school. And then I was started to go to college and I started to have like issues with the racket. It was the same racket. I'd used it for about two to three years. I felt super comfortable with it. I, I felt like it could have used a little bit more stability. I felt like I was struggling on certain shots that like, you know, when the ball was coming a little bit quicker, I didn't have quite enough time to get around and to finish my stroke. So I started playing around with different rackets. And this was going into college. And my first year of college, I was still playing with the XO3 Tour. And I was playing one uh, and two for my college team. So I was playing good tennis. And then I, halfway through the season, I started losing confidence to it. And I started switching rackets. And I used an updated version of the, uh, of the XO3 Tour, which was a Tour 100. And I could just never gel with that racket. It always felt terrible to me. It felt like there was no feel, like felt like it was too stiff. And the main issue was that, yeah, I just I just couldn't confidently attack with it. I just felt like I was playing pushy, pushy tennis with it. And later on, I figured out that it was due to the higher swing weight, which it was a swing weight in the 330s. Um, and it was just causing me to lose confidence. And then from there, I never thought of switching back to my XO3, but then I kept switching rackets from there. And my second year, yeah, my second year of college, I switched to a Phantom 100, which was kind of uh, Prince's follow-up with the ports and everything. But... It was a 16-18 pattern, and um, like I, I lost a lot of confidence in my forehand. I was struggling to hit through the court. I mean, I my game was all over the place. And then in between then, I was trying a bunch of ultras, prestiges, like tons of different rackets, switched to another Prince. Um, I thought it might have been stiffness. I, I didn't know what the, what the stability issue was, so I thought it might have been stiffness or something like that. But I, I just was never through college was never quite able to play at the level that I was as a junior. And I can attribute that a lot to rackets and going into my junior and senior year, I started playing around a lot with, uh, with lead tape. And so I like almost, almost every day after practice, I would be like messing around with the lead tape, you know, kind of changing the grips on the rackets to leather grips. Um, and it became a little bit of, of an obsession because I could feel it was having a difference, but I didn't, and there was not as much information on, uh, online at that time and I didn't know which factors were impacting like what part of the racket 
So I was just kind of going in blind like a lot of people do and adding lead tape at three and nine, um, you know, adding it at 12. But, um, you know, that whole time when I was a performance player, when I was playing for a scholarship, when I was playing for, you know, money to, to keep my education going there, I had no idea what I was using. And uh, it really hurt my game. And then from there, when I started coaching, I started looking at this stuff like more seriously. And I was like, I, I was blown away by how many players are impacted by the same thing and how they're kind of, you know, hurting their game by changing rackets or, or by not using something that might be the best for them. And the tennis player's career is so short. So it's really important to be using something that you really gel with and that you really understand and that you can play your best game with. Yeah, I can't agree more. And I, I know exactly what you feel. I mean, once you start playing around and once you start doubting even your your trusted old frame, uh, it can easily be like, you know, falling into a rabbit hole. And then you start playing around with everything from, like you say, grip, grip different grips, leather or synthetic or grip shapes from the different brands uh, and different lead tape placements and string tensions and and whatnot. And then it can be very difficult to get back into feeling sane again because you get kind of stuck in that. Right. Uh, you just you just get in a, in, a, in a cycle and you feel like one day you're playing well, but then you'll play bad another day. And you don't know if it's the racket, if it's you like it's it's a very stressful time, especially when you're playing like you're like your performance player. Um, yeah. And there was there was never any reason for me to switch from that racket once I was extremely comfortable with it. Maybe just add a few tweaks, maybe, you know, fix a couple things. But um, but yeah, I was just trying I was trying everything and I. I I just lost so much time because of that. Yeah, and, and when you lose time and when you start doubting the racket, you start doubting yourself a bit. So like, like you say, you, you don't know, is it me or is it the racket? Uh, or is the racket affecting me in a negative way? Or sometimes it, does it do it in a positive way? It's becoming quite hard to tell as soon as you start switching too much and, and second guessing a bit too much. I mean, all the pros uh, go through some kind of phase uh, generally, I think, but and most of them seem to just get stuck with one and then they just stay with that. And then at some point later on, uh, they might go and, and consider a switch or just add weight. Um, we've seen some recent ones like Rublev, for example, he's suddenly switched from from Wilson to to uh, to head and, and and not being sponsored, but at least it's a blacked out frame. So you can see players also at the kind of top of their game or just making a breakthrough. They, they're still playing around with different frames. Uh, so it happens on all levels for sure. Yes. And I think a lot of it to me had to do with education at that, at that time. Like if I just had a source, um, you know, to look at and tell me something like, oh, you should be using this, then I could have, you know, understood that right away. Um, and I think to be honest, um, you know, for the players, you know, they don't really have as much support as you might think for understanding rackets. I mean, obviously some of the better, some of the better players, they have guys that travel with them, for example, uh, you know, Federer, Djokovic, they have P P1 that are always traveling with them, kind of, you know, keeping up with their rackets. But um, some of the lower ranked players and guys that are trying to break in, even the top collegiate players are just using, you know, whatever, which is crazy if you think about it. Um, but yeah, I uh, on that topic, I worked at a tennis academy in Florida. And, you know, if you go to a tennis academy, your goal is kind of like to maximize your potential. Um, and try to try to get as you, good as you can, and then if if you can, if you can't do it, then you, then you go to college, uh, which is not a bad option at all. Of course, in the states, it's fantastic. You're going to get an education. Um, you know, you're going to have more time to play tennis. You have unbelievable support from you know a team and everything. But um, you know, you have so much time in an academy. 
to become the best player that you can. So um, when I was working at an academy and it was in Florida, uh, the best two players in the academy were both uh, ITF top 100. Um, and uh, they were both like around one was 15 and one was 17 when I was there. Both of their goals were to go pro. And um, the racket companies would actually send them new rackets to try. So one of the guys was Babalot. So they sent them a sampling of like the new Pure Strike. They sent him uh, one of the VSs. Uh, and they sent him, I think, one of the peer drives as well. But nothing more than that. There was no more support than that. And this guy was top 100 ITF. Um, so there was no, nobody telling him what to use, no like real support, no anything like that. So, and he was, at the time when I was there, really struggling with confidence because he had switched from the old uh, Aero Pro to the new Pure Aero, which was uh, the Banana version when the banana version first came out and about four or five months in, he was really struggling. He, he had no confidence on his forehand. He was, um, he was compromising his game in, in different ways and, uh, and just wasn't having as good as results. And he felt like people were catching up to him. And, um, he would ask the coaches about it. Uh, and the coaches, I mean, for all, for all they were, they were fantastic coaches. They really were good with technique, with the basics, with all that. But the advice from the coaches there at the Academy was, all rackets are good. You can use anything and win. Like, don't worry about it. Um, just focus on other things. And I agree a lot, but there, like I said, there's so much benefit to being confident in your equipment, but there's also such a stigma, which I really don't understand to racket customization. Like even at the club, I work here at home. Like if I start playing around with somebody's racket, it's like, well, why are you doing that? Why, why are you touching that? You know, focus on, focus on technique, focus on this, focus on this. But there's a point when somebody has their technique and their style, and it's extremely difficult to change the way that they play to fit the racket, whereas it should be the other way around. But like I said, the, the career for a tennis player is so short, you, you want to give yourself the best chance to succeed. And it's like literally a two-day process. You know, you get out a bunch of rackets, somebody that knows what they're talking about. You go, you try out a bunch of different swing weights, you try out a bunch of different balances, try out different flexes. You understand what head size that you like. Um, and a lot of it's based on like, previous history of what you've used as well. I mean, so like a younger guy now, for example, this guy that was at the academy could never use what some might think is like a player's racket because that's not what he's used to. He's used to racket acceleration. He's used to hit in a certain way. So he's just going to be used to a lighter racket. So you can't really at that point, you know, give him something heavier and then expect that he's going to get used to that because um, his strokes are already, are already built. I mean, over time, somebody can always adjust to the racket but there's always going to be certain shots that are kind of like not quite there compared to their favorite racket. And a couple would, one would be on the run specifically, usually forehand on the run, because it's like, you don't have that many of those shots and you kind of have a certain way that you're used to hitting it. Uh, touch shots, um, specifically drop shots, angled off volleys are tricky to, to kind of get used to again. And then just as far as like stepping in and just no, like when you want to put the ball away, you got to trust your racket on percent if you doubt for a half a second against a good level player that you're not going to make the ball then you're going to get eaten alive yeah because the game that, is, that's is, uh, is, that's i completely agree about that yeah but that was the point in both their careers where they were about 15 16 you know where somebody should be there uh, if it's if it's the usta or some other that somebody should be there to tell them okay you're trying to go pro you know we're going to find something that works for you this is what you should use don't ever switch this works for you and, and, you know, and provide, you know, advice 
uh, past that point. But it was, it you know, it could hurt a player up to then and, and hurt their confidence and hurt and hurt their performance overall. So I think at that point in, in their age, it's really important to figure out uh, what they're using. Yeah, and I think I mean once you've found something that feels great, and, and you said like a few key shots that I that I also completely agree with. Uh, the, the shots that that you hit under pressure, like a running forehand, for example, you have to hit a passing shots, or when you have to kill a ball, uh, a short ball, that's a typical situation where you can't doubt anything. You have to just go for it, and it's about millimeters or centimeters, and and you know it, it costs you a lot if you're missing those shots. Uh, so I, I really think if you're not trusting your gear, uh, you're not trusting yourself, and you're not going to make those shots uh, on a high percentage scale. Uh, so I completely agree. And I've seen situations where you have uh, really promising players where, where someone, uh, a company, for example, goes after them. They want to give them a sponsorship. They, they already have a racket that they are used to. And no matter how many frames that this company throws at them, they're, they're not going to switch. Uh, I was in, uh, in Spain, in Marbella, and I was watching Alexei Popperin um, practice. And um, Wilson was trying to get him over to, to their team. And they gave him like H19, H22 Pro stocks, all kinds of different frames. And, and he's playing with the PT57A 1619 uh, with a lot of weight at 12. Uh, and a low static weight, high swing weight, and uh, he couldn't switch. I mean, there, no matter what they did, he, he, he didn't go for it. He's still playing with that frame. Uh, so there, that situation is is happening over and over again from young for young and promising players, for sure. Yes, and and uh, and it's important, like I said, to really have somebody that can advise you and and make sure that they have they have your best interests at heart rather than a sponsorship deal. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, I agree, and and many like racket shops and and uh coaches in in clubs they even if they're a good coach like you say technically a good coach they completely underestimate or don't have the knowledge to talk about any kind of gear they don't know anything about gear or the club already have already has a sponsorship with a certain brand so they can't go beyond that brand and then the player gets no real uh insight into what frame would suit them or any more knowledge about frames because the the knowledge in, in among the different clubs in the world is, is very very low i would say yes uh, even in even in uh, shops many shops in the u.s that have some access to lead tape or somebody that knows a little bit of something i mean there's different levels to this somebody could know somebody's extent of knowledge could be oh you have to add weight to the racket for more stability you know which is true to yeah. a certain extent but is that really going to give you something that you're completely confident in I mean, the chances are, are no. And also, you don't want to leave it up to chance. Um, like you were saying, the margins in tennis are so small. And as you get better and better, the margins become smaller and smaller. I mean, the difference between winning a match is could be one shot that you get at six all in a match breaker that you know changes the game. So you just want to be able to uh, trust in your equipment at that moment um, and, not, and not be able to blame that as some reason. I mean, good players already are better at not blaming their equipment for something, but... You just want to have that out of your mind completely when you go to play. But uh, another thing I wanted to touch on was kind of the racket cycle of like, you know, companies. The companies are always going to want to sell rackets. So they're always kind of advertising these new technologies that have, uh, in my opinion, less of an effect on uh, the performance of the racket rather than the flex swing weight balance that really uh, can affect the performance of a racket. Um, and, uh, you know, switching to a new version of a racket, which I touched on a little bit earlier is not always going to be the same thing. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, one, the one guy at the academy I was talking about, when he tried to switch to the new Pure Arrow, different swing weight, 
um, which, you know, affected his ability to hit his forehand and a different flex as well. Uh, so you want to be really careful when you uh, when you switch even to a new version of the same of the so-called same racket. Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, even though they're, they're not a huge mold change always, uh, the, the change might be significant. And I think a lot of players, they don't understand that the quality control of these companies unless they get pro stocks uh, that are already you know checked and, and on on spec they might be completely different so they might get a like a 10 swing weight over or under spec that completely changes and then and if they don't know that if they can't measure that if they don't consider that uh, it's going to be difficult for them to understand what's going wrong you know right and they may not know how to describe it but they'll like feel it for sure so, for example, like a player might come out one day and be feeling great about their strokes, and the next day they break a string, they don't know what's happening, you know, they switch rackets, and then the next day they come out and they can't feel the ball, or they're struggling with a certain shot, and they're like, well, am I just playing worse? Can I, can I work this through? And it actually very likely could be something to do with the racket. And I've seen, yeah. I, I, have a, I have a couple of those pure arrows. I had one in the 330s, I had one in the 310s, and I had one in the 320s. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So, I mean, if you get those three rackets in your bag, I don't know how you're going to play good one day after the other. But, the, you know, what it always comes down to is that, I mean, this is a game of inches. It's a game of confidence. I mean, so you really, I mean, you got to you gotta trust where, where you're at and you got to feel good about your, about your equipment. So, you know, you want, you want something that you can come out every time. You know how it's going to hit. You can go right away. For example, when I customized one racket for uh, another guy in the area, that is a Division One player currently, um, the biggest thing that he said is when he takes a week off and he picks up the racket again after a vacation or wherever he's or if he has an injury or something, he picks up the racket again and he immediately feels comfortable. And he and within half of practice, he can be back to where he was before instead of struggling to kind of find that rhythm again. No, but, it's, uh, it's that important. Yeah. When is it a good idea to start customizing and figuring out uh, the best racket for a player? Um, well, there's a couple of different situations. You can do it at a very young age and influence how the player is going to play growing up. So, for example, if you give somebody a peer drive growing up when they're, like, very young, starting to play, their game is going to turn out much different than giving somebody a junior pro staff or, or a smaller head frame or something like that. So you can kind of influence how the player is going to play in that way growing up. You can kind of give them a frame, you know, have them use it, and then around 13, 14, their style is going to be built kind of around that, uh, around that racket. Um, or around, like I said, around 14 to 15 years old, for a performance player, you can kind of help them figure out what they like best. Um, I, I was just thinking about when you were talking there, sorry to interrupt, but uh, if you look at the styles of, of Rafa and Roger, um, just being very recent with the with the 2020 Grand Slam count exactly. now, exactly. Um, you have Fed starting with the Pro Staff 85, very small head size. You need to generate your own spin using kind of a wristier technique. And uh, it's very heavy frame as well, so it needs to hit well in front. And then you have Rafa started using the soft drive, uh, very light racket, big head size, optimal for spin generation. And obviously, you know, that that kind of shaped them as well. I mean, obviously, if, you, if you're starting out on clay courts, mainly like Rafa, and maybe Roger was playing more indoors, still that racket makes a difference on, on how you play tennis. And uh, I think those are kind of key examples of, of, of what they're playing with even today, you know. Like you said, Rafa's technique and his ability to play on clay courts has certainly been influenced by using a, a large frame since the beginning of his career and, uh, and also how that racket was optimized for spin 
kind of gave him a little bit of his technique. Yeah, and uh, this is another thing. If we think about tennis at a good level, when both players are consistent and similar in level, it's uh, it's a battle of court positioning, and you want to use something that doesn't force you to give up ground. Confidence in a racket setup allows you to get into your favorite patterns that will help you win more matches. And in pre- pressure situations, you need to be able to absolutely trust where the ball goes. Well, tennis today also is a very, if you think about it, it's a very forehand-centered game. Like, it used to be about serve, hit the ball through the court. You know, if you think about Sampras, you know, Philippoussis, all those guys, it was about hitting through the court. That's how we gained ground in the court. They would hit big serves, come into the net, hit volleys. Um, and obviously that demands different rackets. But now uh, the game is built around ground strokes and specifically forehand. If you look at any of the Craig O'Shaughnessy stuff, um, it's about building the, co- building the game around your forehand. So you want something that fits your forehand the most and doesn't uh, cause you to question, question that shot. Yeah, no, I mean, it's your strength and that's the one you, you most often finish points with. So right. it needs to be the one certainty in your game. I mean, uh, if, if you're not John Isner where you need like the serve to be the best, but it, your key stroke, which is, is, is most commonly the forehand. And uh, if your key stroke doesn't work with a racket, that racket needs to go or be customized, I think, in general, because that's where you have to build your game. Well, interestingly, uh, one example that's, changed his racket for his backhand actually was Federer uh, over time. He actually got the bigger head size, like we said, gave him gave him more ability to take that backhand on the rise uh, against Rafa specifically. And he also changed his swing weight, which made it a little bit more predictable on his backhand, easier to get through and kind of went a little bit straighter through the shot. Um, so that gave him ability to take the backhand on the rise. And if you look at old tapes of Federer play, you can see he kind of dictates the, uh, the point more with his forehand. Because yeah, his, yeah, no, his foreign was generally almost more dangerous then because he could play it any way he liked it. It seemed like at least, you know, right, right. Well, that was a reflection of, of the, the racket actually being customized for his forehand. But then I think over time they've built the racket for his backhand because that was the shot that he would lose matches on. He would lose confidence in that shot. And then it didn't matter how good his forehand was because then he'd be struggling so much on his backhand. So they built his racket to kind of fit his backhand a little bit better. And that's a case there that allowed him to win, uh, you know, a couple Grand Slams in 2017 and 2018 because he was able to come over the backhand and he had less of a weakness there. And thus he felt more confident hitting forehands. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think in that situation, they had a really specific problem, which was kind of the the high topspin uh, on his backhand, which Rafa used and, and kind of exploited the most. But then. Perhaps a few other players also figured it out that you know he was he was struggling a bit on that wing and uh, and uh, he needed a bit of extra free stability and and power and 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 also um, a bit I mean, bigger head size to not get those shanks that he was producing. Uh, so I, yeah, you, you're right. There there are other situations as well. Uh, and he has, I mean, he still has a good forehand, but I would argue that his forehand looked more lethal. I mean, you can you can argue that the players are different uh, from 10, 15 years back, but his forehand seemed more lethal with a smaller head size, uh, definitely. No, no, no question. Um, we, we could maybe move into to Djokovic, and, and uh, you had some points there maybe that you wanted to add. Back in 2011, I mean, he was, if you watch tapes, I mean, he was just dictating the court from his forehand unbelievably well never giving up ground, never stepping back. And, uh, and I think, 
I agree with most of the changes. I agree with the 1819 is a little bit more of a modern spin pattern. His forehand, if you look at the way he took it back, he needed more time on it. He kind of rushed it at the end of the stroke back in those days. So he would kind of like have to flatten it out a little bit more than being able to add the spin. And he didn't look quite relaxed on some shots. Um, But the swing weight was uh, a mistake to change from 370 to 360, in my opinion, because if you watch Djokovic now, and I understand why they did it, it was a similar reason to Federer, was to give him ability to to take that back end on the rise against Rafa, if you listen to what Roman says, uh, and what Agassi uh, was a part of as well when they were discussing that uh, as a team. But uh, it's hurt his ability, in my opinion, to take uh, take the forehand and kind of put that away or get himself in an advantage, uh, advantageous position. It now it takes him more shots to do it, and I feel like it hurts him in matches that he's playing against guys that are extremely consistent. For example, like against a Batista Agut or against a Medvedev, you see him lose focus a lot. And I think it's just because, not because he's not engaged, but because he doesn't get the result out of the racket that he wants. So he'll like he'll kind of mishit it a little bit, or it just won't be as penetrating through the court, giving him another shot shorter. So he'll be have to reset the point. And then I think he'll lose focus actually through that just because it's like, you know, it's frustrating not to have the, the ball go where you want it to go. And then that's how he gets involved in some of those matches. That being said, he's such an unbelievable player that he can compensate. Um, but I do think that uh, he played better with the with a 370 swing weight. And actually, there's an interesting thing about swing weights um, that I've never seen anybody describe before. But like. Uh, like I've put on my Instagram, there's like kind of these sections of swing weights that one guy on uh, on Talk Tennis actually talked about before, which is like the swing weight cycles kind of where every 30 points or so, then you go to a different level of swing weights. So there's kind of the swing weights that are like 300 to 320, which are kind of the light swing weights, the very modern swing weights. And these swing weights kind of allow people to use angles, which is why you see angles more on the court now instead of hitting through the ball. People using more... Uh, uh, touch, you know, because the because the racket's easier to handle at contact. But the difference between those swing weights is, you know, they all kind of have those similar characteristics about being able to accelerate and being able to hit the ball real quick. But the difference is how they kind of come around. Like a 300 swing weight actually comes around at contact a little bit straighter than a 310, which comes over over the ball a little bit more, and a 320, which comes way over the ball. Um, they actually kind of like at contact hit a little bit differently. And then you have those uh, swing weights in the middle, which is like the 330, the 340, and the 350, which are kind of like the modern pro swing weights. The reason that they're kind of the modern pro swing weights is because 10 to 15 years ago when all these guys were growing up, those swing weights were were most popular, you know, in retail rackets. A lot of retail rackets had 330, 340 swing weight. So, I mean, the guys grew up using those, but actually those rackets are more effective in singles because that those rackets at the top of the game and 340 is about like, you know, kind of that mid point of like the top guys. A lot of, a lot of guys use 340. Um, and the reason is because the, the swing weights in that kind of range, like allow you to have easy depth, but still allow you to hit angles. Handle those swing weights, then they give you much benefit in, in singles over, um, over the lower swing weights. But that's obviously player specific too, but generally the top, top singles players do use swing weights in those regions. Like, for example, Federer, uh, Pass, uh, Hatchinoff, like a lot of the top 10 uh, does for sure. You see that with, um, like, I mean, a lot of pros uh, that are a bit older, perhaps, but, I mean, you go Kyle Edmund and, and Dan Evans and those guys, 
uh, Bautista Agut, uh, they all used the 6195 because that was a popular spec frame in when they grew up and, and when I grew up because we're about the same age. And uh, and that's a racket that just hits through the ball really well, um, very precise, not and also pretty good to create angles. So if you want to, you know, passing shots and stuff, it's not that easy to generate topspin. So you see that with with all those guys that their uh, their styles are like built like on on moving around the ball, slice. Um, and in Kyle Edmund's case, he has a big forehand. But Batista Gut is a typical six one ninety five player. It seems right. Like. And same thing with the eighteen twenties. That's why I mean we saw at the U.S. Open everybody that was left kind of in the semifinals and out and outwards was uh, all like eighteen twenties like uh, Medvedev, uh, Batista Gut, like we said. Joker, Carreño Busta, team, but all those guys using 1820s, and it's just because those guys came from a time when 1820s was, you know, most of the retail rackets on the market were 1820, so they grew yeah. up using those frames, and that's and that's what they were comfortable with. Um, but yeah, that's why those those regions are are are, are more co- uh, popular on the tour now. But I think as we go forward, we're going to continue to see those swing weights lower because the guys that are growing up now. Are going to be using those swing weights in the 320s and the 310s and those are going to be the guys that you know get to the top next so i think i think a lot of those guys are going to be lowering in swing weight as we go on but then we have like that highest uh, range of swing weights which is the 360 370 380 which is really more of like a clay quarter spec you know really gives you a free depth you know easy depth a lot of the you know guys like generations past like uh like sampras and those guys use that as well but um but yeah, most mostly clay quarters anymore. Um, yeah, you have like Guga Querten and Thomas Muster used really high swing weights. Yes, uh, yes. I mean, even if you look at Rafa, even if you look at Rafa, like one thing with, about the swing weights is that if you have a higher swing weight, you need kind of more time to set up. And if you look at Rafa, he's got, I think, a, around a 370 swing weight. I mean, that's why he plays so well on clay, because he doesn't have to back up as much because he has time to kind of set up his sw- his heavy swing weight so he can get that through contact and then attack but whereas on a hard court he's got to back up a little bit because he doesn't have as much time to kind of get it into position and then he can get taken advantage of a little bit more on a hard court but on clay yeah. it just does, it doesn't matter so no no you see the same with diego schwartzman i mean his 100%. swing weight must be up in 370 380 almost because he has a 28 inch racket uh so uh he's playing really well on clay when he can be you know a bit behind the baseline and just scurry around and has time to swing, you know, um, and it really works for him. But yes. in, in, I think on hard courts, he's going to have a, a tougher time for sure. But that's a sacrifice that you have to make. I mean, you can't have everything when you have a racket. you got to choose kind of your style. Um, so, I mean, it helps if you understand how you're trying to play. Uh, I mean, Rafa, he's, his game is centered around Roland Garros, and, and, and we saw that yesterday. But, um, you know, that's a decision that you have to make as a player. And as a as a team around him, what makes the most sense for what you're trying to do? Yeah, and it was interesting yesterday because he he had a obviously very clear strategy against Djokovic. He knew he was going to play a lot of drop shots, and he knew he didn't want to get into that situation where Djokovic hits like uh, takes his backhand really early, cross court down to Rafa's forehand. So he wanted to mix it up so he didn't get into that kind of rhythm and position. Perhaps there to your point there with Djokovic, uh, his swing weight reduction. I mean he. He did seem to struggle to hit through that court, especially on his forehand. He couldn't hit that forehand with any kind of ferocity to put Rafa enough on his back foot. Um, so in that case, I think it, the way he played yesterday wasn't really too much of a struggle for Rafa, while maybe a Dominic team 
would have been able to hurt a little bit more with his uh, more impactful forehand in that case. Right. I mean, I think to, I think to beat on Rafa on clay, you have to be able to push him back. And it, regardless of how good Djokovic was able to defend, I mean, he couldn't push him back. So what we saw was the result of that. Uh, another thing I wanted to touch on was like the increase of the unorthodox techniques in the men and women's uh, game is uh, a result of the lighter rackets. Like if you look at a current generation, like a, like a Jack Sock or somebody, or like a Kyrgios, I mean, there's no way they could have played like that back in the day, you know, using, well, for example, like a Pro Staff 85 or whatever. Like No, no, there's no chance to hit the ball. Like, I mean, the way they take back their, their swing, which is completely counterintuitive uh, in many ways, but since they have a lighter racket, they have time to really whip it. So they get even more leverage by going like from the front back and then front again right so the, the men's generation you see a lot of players like that that are very whippy very wristy uh tiafo is another one um and these guys all pr- use fairly light rackets fairly light swing weights that allow them to do that however the women's game is more straight through the court currently but i think the next generation like if you look at Swiatek, great example you know very, very modern style slides around the court heavy spin I think the rackets are getting light enough that the women are able to do that as well, whereas the men are a little bit stronger and can do it with a slightly heavier racket in comparison. But now we're going to see more women's players, and I saw this at the academy when I was working too, more women's players that are play more of that modern style instead of the through-the-court style. Yeah. No, you, you definitely see that. You have more uh, power forehands on the women's game as well. Like you have the uh, Igas Vontek, and then you have um, Ash Barty, another good, more ATP-style forehand. Uh, so it, it does change a little bit, and I think the rackets ha- has something to do with it. Pro stocks. Uh, so pro stocks are, I mean, I mean, they kind of have like the the aura in the tennis community that they're better than a regular racket. I mean, I I tend, to, I mean, maybe the mold or the materials are slightly better, but I tend to dis- disagree. Um, I mean, because there's plenty of pros that don't use pro stocks. They use whatever they were comfortable with growing up. I kind of disagree with that to a point. And then also. I mean, as far as copying pro specs, I don't think there's there's not too much value in that. I think you should use what sticks for you, you know, which may be similar to a, a player, of course. But I think, you know, there's no I mean, I can't tell you like a racket that's good for me will should feel good for you. You know, it's like, oh, this racket's great. You, you should use it. You know, it's it's truly something up to you in the end and whatever gives you the most confidence to play your best tennis. So I can't I can't tell you that for sure. It's just I can give you something to try or whatever. But in the end, it's it's a very it's a very personal thing, uh, and it's something you should spend some time trying to figure out for sure. Yeah, I I completely agree. That's my take on usually when I do the racket con- and string consultations. It's it's about finding based on the history of the player, maybe the swing style and uh, you know any issues that have popped up with with arm pain or or just a, a you know lack of, of being able to hit through the court or, or some other issue that pops up over and over again in their game and to give them a few ideas on rackets that could work uh, then hopefully they can demo it's always important to demo that's one of the things i stress the most because you can sometimes tell in in like 20 minutes okay this is not going to be the racket for me you know and although you shouldn't give up too soon but sometimes you know from from the first minute or the first hit that it's it's great or it's not uh, and then you can obviously evaluate um the rackets that feel good then you can you can take them further and keep keep testing see what feels best 
but at least you have something to start from and then you can go and, and go when you find one you can start playing around with strings and customizations whether you want to do that but uh, you need to find a, a good starting point from where to look i think that's the important part and one thing on that you, generally your first impression is what makes the most sense so you're not going to pick up a racket and then maybe uh, two weeks from now now you'll be comfortable with it generally what you feel at the beginning is is what you're going to feel to me anyway so like for example if you try a certain racket and you don't like it and then you're like well if i keep hitting with it then i'll like it no 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 no, no. you you got to use something that you're comfortable with you know right away so yeah you need a little bit i think i think if you don't get at all that feeling that this is good i don't think it, it's worth i mean there's so many frames out there just exactly. so many different rackets and strings why waste time it's like it's like with uh, you know finding a partner in life you know if, if it if it's not good the first first five dates i don't think it's it's worthy <laughs> trying to to build up more scar tissue there it's better to just move on and try to look for something different and i think that's the same with with frames if it's not if someone tells you this is a great frame for you and you don't like it from the first hit and you don't like it the second hit if you hit with it then give up you know you try another frame because there's so many for sure for sure um back to what i was saying about my racket um so currently uh i was using a 1618 uh, and i was really struggling with my forehand went to 18 went back to 1820 all of a sudden i could control the racket head because i just understood where it was going so that gave me a lot more confidence uh i went down in swing weight to kind of what i was using back before which was a, a 320 swing weight and that mm -hmm. gave me to kind of accelerate and attack and so i was kind of using and then i put the balance uh, back to what I was using when I was a, was a junior, when I was using my most fa my favorite racket. So I was using my my favorite racket at the spec that I was comfortable with. And um, then I realized, again, when I put it back to that spec, I was like, oh, now I realize that there's still something uncomfortable initially that wanted that made me want to switch. And so this time around, I actually had the ability to kind of analyze what what I was struggling with. And actually, it was the balance for me. And so uh, the key was, on some shots on the run, I was running out of time and having to finish down, and I couldn't take a full swing because I was running out of time. So I actually had to make the balance a little bit more headlight uh, and make it 31-4 or, uh, or nine points headlight, and that gave me the ability to get around the ball and not really compensate on, on certain shots. So actually, I'm, I'm back to using what I was using in high school. I just had to come back around and learn all, all this stuff to be able to make that one change um, to, to make it the perfect racket for me and then i also changed strings a little bit uh i'm using a uh, hyper g which i was using in college before that i was using 4g uh that was just something i'd grown up using uh, i like it but i think hyper g kind of fits the modern game a little bit better it's got kind of that ridge design it really is good for spin and it's incredibly popular at the at the college level because they give a lot of discounts but i think it's also a great uh, a great string yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's a frame I, I also really liked back uh, some years ago. Um, but it's um, it's one of those. Is it the one with the 52 stiffness you're using or really low? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I actually used higher stiffness before that. But once I used that frame, I mean, it was impossible for me to go back up even to like a 59 stiffness feels like a brick to me now because mm. that, because that racket flexes as a combination between the ports and the, and the flex. It flexes like I mean I can't I can't even describe it. It's like literally like the, the racket bends, and then mm -hmm. I kind of you know have that dwell time on the strings 
and then I'm able to like throw the racket back. Um, and so, and so that kind of enables me to use whatever strings I really want on the racket and not feel pain or, or to teach with it and not really feel, feel any pain. Um, and I also string pretty low as well. So I string in the, in the forties. Modern yes. tension and well, yeah. Well actually, and I think uh, part of the reason that the uh, tensions are dropping, which would make a lot of sense is because the swing weights are dropping. And since the swing weights are dropping, you're getting less uh, free power out of the frame. So uh, you'll actually want the, sw uh, the tension of the racket to compensate for that a little bit and give you power through there. Yeah, no, I think that's also the, because if you use, uh, I've been playing around these last couple of days now with really low swing weights because I, we, we discussed that over Instagram a little bit and I, I thought that was pretty interesting because sometimes you get these demo rackets and, and you're getting a significantly lower swing weight than what's listed. And, um, and it's nice with a low swing weight in a way, I mean, I'm talking like 310 strong. Uh, that you can really whip, yeah, you can get a lot of racket head speed. Uh, but then at certain situations when you're playing like big hitters with a big serve, it like stability becomes an issue. Uh, but you can mitigate some of that with a with a lower lower tension for sure. Uh, I think yeah. that's an interesting take actually. Uh, it depends on your style. But if you look at like someone like Manarino who uses a very low tension, pretty low. Um, low weight frame with a relatively low swing weight as far as i know and uh, he he really whips with his wrist but he's using that low tension to to get some extra you know power on his shots and depth in the court still uh, and he manages to his slightly weird technique to work with that so that works yeah. for him and i think again like the, the shots that you were saying that you feel like you may have to compensate on i think are are personal it's not like oh, the next player is going to say that feels like that on that certain shot because they, they've grown up with it. They may go to a higher swing weight. For example, my one friend that I was telling you about, uh, he actually went from 305, which we didn't even realize that was what he was using before. Um, I just gave him 330 because his style kind of fit like that that grindy kind of player style. But, um, but specifically on the 330 swing weight, he was hitting a lot of shots long. He was, uh, he was kind of behind on certain shots. So like... For example, if I would feed him a ball and it would be coming in quickly to him, he just couldn't get around it on time. Um, but but that being said, when he when he had time to set up and he could use the rate of the racket, he could really accelerate. But it didn't matter to him because he couldn't use it under pressure to build the point to be able to get the shot short. You know, so that higher swing weight was really useless for him because he could never get in the position to do that against a high level player because he couldn't defend first. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it, it all comes down to, I think it's quite a, raises a, a quite important point that you need to, I mean, some players, they, they try a frame and they, they use it to hit and then uh, they think, okay, this is the one, it's great, I'm, I'm super happy. And then they start playing serious matches or tournaments and things change because like when you're tight, you're playing slightly differently. Uh, you definitely need a frame and test a frame in a certain tense match situation, whether it's a practice match, but it needs to kind of reflect how tense you get when you when you play tournaments. If nope. if you're a competitive player, uh, because yeah, that, mean, that changes everything. Right? Yeah, I mean that's I mean in practice that's what we do a lot. I mean as far as college and all that, we put a lot of um, you know different pressures on the on the points. I mean. If you lose, you have to do sprints or push-ups or something like that to kind of emulate that match situation. So you can kind of do that in a way. Do you see a lot of um, do you see a lot of elbow and and other kind of uh, issues in in the college tennis in the states? Yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> I mean, all the time. Um, and to be honest, that's not something I've quite thought about a lot um, because the technique is usually decent. I mean, it could just be the stiffer frames. I mean, a lot of guys use Babolats, uh and a couple of years ago, the, the 69, 70 stiffness was very common. Of course, now it's dropping again, and now we're getting smaller head sizes, which is, you know, a very good thing, um, which, you know, adds to the enjoyment of the game because you're not getting injured. But, uh, yeah, a lot of guys in college get injured, and then they're pushed to play anyway. So, it's, uh, Yeah, and they're playing a lot of tennis, and, and they're using, like, a, a stiff frame and with a stiff poly, because I mean, obviously that's, that feels great. I mean, if you watch a lot of college tennis or you, you, you check streams or uh, you see that there's obviously a lot of, a lot of really thick beam rackets, a lot of hyper G or other Solinko strings, and that's going to be a quite stri a stiff string bed. It's, it's nice to play with because you get a lot of topspin, you get a lot of pace from the, from the stiff racket and the thick beam. But at, in the end, if you play a lot and you don't know what's happening, you might uh, end up with a tennis elbow or, or wrist. 10 to 90 or stuff like that and then and then the other interesting thing that i've noticed uh when i've been going through is like with college players like i was saying all college players play a very similar style and i think it's because they all switch rackets and they can't feel comfortable with something i mean they all play very consistent you know just extremely consistent using your legs using your athleticism the guys that have weapons are the guys that are the top in college tennis but I think that's part of the problem is that they're switching rackets all the time and then you don't feel confident going after shots. So you just play solid tennis, you know, and that's yeah. that's that's the extent of your of your game. And you forget you forget you over time, you forget like the way that you're trying to play. It's 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 really interesting how over time that stuff can happen. Yeah, no, it's 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 something I noticed. Like, I mean, I get rackets sent all the time for reviews and stuff. And if you're playing with one racket for a week consistently, you're just like you, you, you're seeing your game and your technique take a shift because you have to adapt a bit. You, otherwise, you're not going to hit the same stroke. If you're playing with a like a 300 gram uh, tweener frame and then you're trying like a, a low powered 97 square inch um, control frame, it's obviously a different game. You know, you have mm -hmm. to change your your stroke. It's it's uh, it's a bit weird. So you you don't want to get lost too far, too far. You think too much knowledge might make you think too much about gear? Is that I mean, that's something I think sometimes myself as the more I, I learn and the more I, I study, sometimes the more um, obsessed about specs I become, you know? Yeah, I think there was a point where I was like that for sure. And that was the point when I was still learning a lot um, because I was then I was just overwhelmed with all like the options. And it was just like, well, what well, what works? But then once I began to understand what worked for me, then I was able to recommend to other people what worked for them. Because then I had confidences like, well, I know how this feels. I know how this feels. But to get there, I had to try a little bit of everything myself. Um, but that's just me personally. I think for most players, I mean, I think it helps just to be like have somebody that could tell you that and say this is what you should use and, and be reasonable and, and, and have knowledge about that. But they shouldn't they themselves shouldn't be thinking about that. I think there should be kind of you know what I think there should be. I think there should be a thing for coaches. There should be some kind of seminar for coaches. Um, specifically, so you don't have to be like a, you don't have to be MRT, MRT yeah, master, master racket technician. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to be an MRT certified, um, you know, person to understand. But I think an integral part of coaching, if you're if you're a coach and you're trying to take somebody from you know wherever they are as a junior player to a to a college player or a you know top college player, you got to know something about rackets because at some point the player is going to come to you and ask, you know, if they're if if you're their coach 
and they're the person that they're looking for for advice on everything else. So I think it would make a lot of sense to have some kind of uh, instructive thing for coaches, just kind of explaining them some of this stuff, showing them specific examples. For example, the Federer example that we talked about, Rafa example that we talked about, you know, even some other players of how exactly what their specs are, what it exactly looks like in certain situations, why this has an effect on this, not going too in depth, but just enough so that the, the coach can then say, okay, does it make sense for somebody that's been using, this was one example recently, somebody was using, I mean, some kid that I know uses a, a pro staff, terrible racket choice for him. I mean, he's, he's like a very modern player, super whippy, like, you know, no, not, nothing about touch in his game, you know, and, and there's not, and nobody's told him to switch. So, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that it's... guy, that, that guy, that guy, and he's going to college and he's playing college tennis. I mean, that guy, no question should be using a Babolat or a, or a modern player's frame. If he, if it, if that's too stiff, he can find something on Dunlop that a little bit softer or, or you know, but he could yeah, find yeah. a, he could find another brand racket that fits his game a little bit better. Um, and it's on the coach to, to recommend that. The, the, exactly the story you, you, you talk about that it's, uh, I see players who hit with quite a lot of spin and a very aggressive baseline game and not, they don't hardly venture to the net and they still use the pro staff, uh, not the RF, but the, the lighter pro staff. And, and it's, you see them shanking balls sometimes because they don't have enough margin on their head size. And it's just like completely off because maybe they, you know, idolize Federer or they just were giving that racket or or something they think it looks cool because it's all black and and it's completely the wrong frame so i i really recognize what you're what you're saying yeah, there so, so that that would that would be my one thing was would be to have coaches be educated to some extent on uh, on the difference that specs can make yeah 100 agree i think that's uh, definitely something that should be included when you when you get like a coaching uh, because uh, you know for example when i was at the academy I was like an outsider, you know, I was like the new coach coming in and the players had been coached by the same guy for how many years, you know, eight years growing up since they were seven or eight years old. So what, what is their responsibility to listen to me as a coach, you know, to tell, to tell them something that nobody, nobody's told them before that, and that, and that they've gotten to a certain level using what they've used, you know? So, yeah. So. And I also don't think like you can't you can't expect like pro players to either know about or know about frames either. Uh, for example, Rafa gets his frames customized by Babolat. He meets up with the guys at Babolat, or they come to him in Mallorca. In Mallorca, um, you know, they work through what he's he's struggling with in the off season. You know, that's another big thing. A lot of these guys in the off season will go and tweak their frames or or their specs. You know, it'll be a running discussion, but he probably doesn't know any specifics. If you asked him, he probably doesn't know his swing weight or whatever. He just knows what feels what feels right to him. So um, even those yeah, guys, that's a, for, mean, for most pros, I think it's all about uh, they pop by and they just okay. You know, I'm not happy with this. Can I get a light slightly heavier or uh, frame or or some more powerful? And and then they they know what feels good and what works on the court. They don't really need to understand the specifics. I think. One other thing was I, I would never understand why top players switch rackets for money. Um, you know, Swiatek has that discussion now. I mean, they were talking to her about switching, uh, you know, from Prince and she was open to it. I would never do that. Um, I mean, even if you can get similar specs, I think there's like differences in the way frames flex. Like if you feel like the, the Wilson Clash, I mean, that flex, that's a very low stiffness frame, but it flexes like so differently from a Prince, which has like more of like a, uniform flex the clash kind of flexes off to the sides in a strange way for me anyway 
um, you know, the way the grips feel, of course, you can replace, um, but some players don't. Uh, but I think there's still factors inherent with the racket and the, and, and the uh, mold and the, the beam thickness and all that stuff that I think it's, it is really tough to change. If you're very, yeah, and it's also a huge. I'm, I'm, I completely agree, and I think it's a, it's definitely also a mental thing. Like you, if results start to go haywire, they would start asking questions whether it's the racket, even if it's not. You know, you, you'd get into that situation. Let's say, let's talk about Iga, for example. If she switches to another frame, uh, and then she starts not winning slams, and she has a bad year, which happens on, on especially on the WTA tour, you have someone winning like a, a slam um, and then like the next year is really rough, you know, and uh, then obviously the, the, her thoughts will go to the racket, which is not what you want. So right. uh, I, I think that's, I, I understand that you want extra money, but if, if you're uh, winning tournaments, it's more important to focus on winning more tournaments and, and buying your own rackets or just getting like your, the rackets for free and no, no extra money. I think it's better than, than uh, then playing around with that too much. I think we've seen that with like Andrew Agassi. He tried tried a lot of different frames. Didn't work for him. Ferrer, Ferrer, Ferrer well. for example. Yeah, yeah. He tried it in the end. He wanted to move away from from a frame very similar to what you're using. And and then uh, I mean, not maybe sure that that was a good idea to start switching uh, at at that time where he did it. And and so on. There are quite a few examples that players that switch and then like they never really find home you know another one is i think zverev should go lower in swing weight no question you look at the way that he plays he stands way too far back he needs so much time and he it's hard for him to go on offense and i believe that has to do with the fact that he probably used closer to a 330 swing weight go, growing up if you look at that frame which i think is the the graphene speed uh, from a couple generations ago that stock swing weight was closer to 330 and so I think he's running into a similar issue that my friend ran into um, and that he went up to a 360 swing weight uh, and that he just has issues like taking offense if he's not entirely confident in his shots or he's and that's why he gets involved in a lot of matches to me. Yeah, he, his, his style is quite I mean, it's a, quite a drastic change, whether it's mental or 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 uh, has something to do with the racket specs. But it's like, I mean, his serve has fallen apart a bit with the second serves being completely erratic for a player. Yes. Yeah level uh, and also that i mean the serve can be quite uh, affected by a swing weight change as well so you need to be able to whip through the frame uh, and if you go up 20 30 points in swing weight that's gonna change quite a bit uh so maybe he, he's somewhat i mean i don't know if that's a, a technical thing or if it's a it's a I think it's thing a, I, but something is wrong there for sure a, I, for those guys it's generally not technical because i mean everybody there can hit the ball really well and they've all hit eight zillion balls you know I mean, yeah. there's some there's some things like the yips on the serve, which is probably more mental. But the game style, like the way that he's playing, like to me is is a is a spec thing, because he just there's there's situations where he should just be able to step in, steamroll, you know, steamroll a match or a set or something like that, and he just gets passive. So to me, that's a spec thing. Yeah, that's, I, that's I, I think it could spec slash confidence thing maybe, but he's playing way way too pushy for a. Players of his, you know, I mean, he can hit with huge pace. And when he was doing his playing his best tennis, he was he was going far more through the court and and going for his shots a lot more. And now he's just like 
looks like a completely different guy, even though he's he's winning some of these matches. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that against weaker players, and he just outlasts them from the back of the court. It's not the way he's gonna win slams in the future. I mean, that it, I don't see him as a as a like 190 something grinder. You know, it seems yeah. like a strange situation yeah. for him. Yeah, and you see that it's funny because I actually talked to um, um, someone from Head the other day about Rublev's frame, and and he we we discuss. I asked him like, well, what mold is this? And it's the same mold that Sasha uses, and um, and it, we were I was you know asking because Wilson tried to give him all kinds of rackets, and uh, he's still under the Wilson contract obviously because of the the blacked out frame, and uh, and he just like even though he like beat Federer with the that kind of um, what's it called bold paint job the the zebra style paint job yeah and was, I, i'm not sure exactly what frame that was it was an h22 maybe or a 6195 i don't remember but he still switched for the next tournament and and stuck with that so it's it says pretty much how much the the feeling and your confidence connected to the racket is i mean he he had the biggest win of his life with one frame yeah. and the next week he plays with another frame it's insane it's insane and i think that, that i don't know how that happens but um but another another one like tiafo um he used 1820 his whole you know career growing up and you can see it like on certain shots like where he wants to flatten out he can't like he can't do it and it comes up and it it, it depends how good the player is but it comes up spe- specifically when he's like trying to play like like somebody, I mean, somebody very, very good, like Medvedev or something, where he just gets a little bit like passive on the forehand, and he's like just massaging the ball, or he gets a little bit lost in the point. Um, yeah, that's that's another one that I thought I thought I think is like, like what are you doing? Like why are you not using an 1820 Yonex? Like what's the big deal? Um, yeah, I agree. In in a way that he's he does tend to look like he's not a hundred percent. Yes. confident on his uh, playing style. I mean, he's not really like sure what he's going to do because he seems to have all the options from his uh, level of play, but then he just gets lost, you know, has his weird losses. And, yeah, and, stuff like that. It's like, wow, I can't believe that's happening like on a, on, a, on a global scale and not like just with college players. That's what I'm realizing now. It's like, wow, you know, there are people in the pros that aren't using the right stuff. All, but, you know, no, I no, mean, for sure, for sure. I think there's a lot of... Uh, um, stuff that could have been done with pro players rackets. I always wondered if if uh, Andy Murray should have switched yes, to something Andy Murray, Andy a bit great, more. Great example. Andy Murray, great example. Andy Murray uh, changed his, actually, if you watch his old strokes, uh, very like linear. Like he used a super heavy swing weight, obviously. He used a swing weight like in the 400s, which is obscene. But, um, you know, made a lot of sense for him to move down. Now look at the way he's moving. He needs, uh, there, were t- there were talks about him using uh, an extended length frame. I like the idea of that. Um, yeah, just, me too. Just to give him more uh, more reach, you know, on the on the ones that he can't move to, and then I think he's got to go lower in swing weight because that will allow him to, you know, accelerate, hit through the court more instead of having to be more of a rhythm player. You know what I mean? Like he can just kind of like he he would be able to hit more winners off the court, you know, kind of dictate a little bit because his game was built off that, you know, kind of rhythm style um, of play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the the racket he's using, the 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 PT57A, and it's it's a racket that suits players like Gil Simon, for example. Um, obviously, okay, you have Popirin who uses it, but it's a completely different setup, and swing weight wise, and and where all the weight is. Yes. But in Murray's case, it's it's such a low powered frame that he, I mean, he would need to do something, I think, to be competitive with his current movement. I mean, I, I don't think he's not going to be able to. 
great example where racket can make a huge difference. Like if you watch his game, I mean, and it makes sense that he's going to change stuff now. But if you watch, they like, can play Vavrinka and and Felix like playing the way he plays now. No way he can compete because he just can't move as well. He's got to have something, something different. So I think that's a great point about him. Yeah, I, I think so because it, it almost hurts your eyes to look at it. I mean, you feel almost sorry for him because. He, he was he's such a brilliant fighter and sometimes maybe too much because he seems to get himself into these situations where he has to fight when he shouldn't have to. But And, and he has great talent, but he's not daring to go for his shots enough. And it doesn't seem to penetrate the court enough either when he does. So he, I, for sure he should try now uh, before 21 to, to just play around with a few different frames and and like the extended length is something i thought about suits very well for like double-handed backhands he has a good ba- double hander so why not try that get some more oomph and and maybe a bit more pop on serve stuff like that uh so we'll see but i, I think he's very it's gonna stick to what he uses it's yeah. my feel. but yeah i think i think murray a great great example Roddick, another great example burditch Another another example where you look early on in his career, he was able to really take the ball, you know, and, and hit through the court. I think the game changed a lot. I think he should have gone a little bit lower, a little bit lighter. Um, obviously, his technique demands like a little bit flatter swinging racket. But um, I mean, it, it was silly for him to stay the same for so, so long. And that's why I think I mean, I can't fault Djokovic, Nadal and Federer, because if you look at all three of them, they've made racket changes in their career that uh you know, would be tough given how much success that you've had. But I think you got to adapt with the game a little bit. I don't agree with all the changes, but I think you do have to adapt with the game a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, for the most part, they've done they've done stuff that made sense. So, yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And I, I think it's at anyone uh, listening can probably uh, recognize themselves if they've been trying out different rackets. Sometimes when you try a frame. And that you feel like completely like unhinged, like something really clicked and you feel like you can just hit and it's just this great experience when you feel like you're just super confident um, on whatever shot you need to hit. And sometimes your your forehand just feels like it's it's, uh, invincible and stuff like that. So that kind of feeling can be unlocked, I think, more frequently with the right frame uh, when you sometimes feel like you're a bit burdened by the racket you use, you know. I think one thing, yeah, you should definitely, if you feel that way with a racket, you should get that racket on an RDC and get those specs written down because then you can start to narrow down, okay, what is it? was it the stiffness that I liked? Was it the swing weight that I liked? Was it the balance that felt better to me? Uh, I mean, there's a big, big difference, like I said before, between adding lead tape nonsensically and understanding what you're trying to achieve. I mean, a huge, huge, huge difference. Yeah, and I completely agree that if something feels like, wow, what happened here? Try to figure out what made it feel like that. Like write down the specs, write down the type of frame it is. Maybe you're just borrowing it or it's a demo. So you can just kind of maybe get that feeling back if you get lost again. So you can just make like almost like a racket diary if you're trying many different frames. Just put put your notes down. Uh, what, what makes it feel this way? What makes it feel that way? I think that helps a lot. Uh, but we've reached quite a bit. I mean, I can ask you what, what you want to do with prospect customization. And- uh, my goal with prospect, well, uh, I want to uh, make sure that no one ever goes through kind of what I went through, uh, which was switching rackets just with no sense and uh, kind of losing a bunch of time because of that. Uh, I want to write uh, software. My degree is in CS uh, in university. So 
I want to write a software that can analyze strokes and uh, recommend a specification to a player instead of having to do an on-court uh, consultation. So it'll just be able to look at kind of how they swing and it'll be able to recommend uh, what they should use uh, as far That's as specs. Cool. Yeah, That's a very I, interesting idea, actually. I want to be able to do stuff as far as with stats. So like, for example, like look at the stats of how a player is playing and like see if there's like, for example, too many unforced errors on the forehand or something like that, recommend specs through that as well. I want to also make like kind of a little bit of a revolution as far as college players and equipment. These guys are traveling everywhere. You know, you got to take a whole team on a plane. The budget's ridiculous. And there's nobody checking on rackets to make sure that your players are using the right thing. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous to me. I cannot believe that there's so much money spent on on all that stuff, and and only a few teams look at rackets. And you know which teams look at rackets? The teams that win. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I I I think that's quite common as well, like on all levels. Yeah, but especially in college, it's insane because these guys have such. I mean, the facilities are unbelievable. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then, and then all these guys are just, you know, switching rackets every year because the, the, um, you know, the budget allows them to do that. They, they get five new rackets every year. So every year they switch to a different racket. So it's, <laughs> yeah, that seems silly. Actually, <laughs> it's not good. No, I mean, I mean, that's the, that's the way it is in, in college tennis. Um, but there's not really an environment, uh, to get like, you know, racket help in the U S at least I would to be able to help different teams, uh, kind of recommend uh, gear to them or over a week, uh, kind of like consult, look at everybody, kind of give them, you know, stuff to stuff to try, stuff to uh, work out. And um, yeah, I would like to do that for a bunch of colleges in the US or or, uh, or or clubs even or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to be done in this area because there's, there hasn't been a lot of information or a lot of, um, a lot of content or i mean anything like you're talking about that app or or you know swing analysis and stuff like that that really comes into play these days when you have you can actually measure and analyze data and you, anyone can really record themselves with a smartphone and uh, really helps a lot to record yourself and say okay this is what am i doing you know what am i doing with the swing how will that racket affect x y and z in my game and uh that will really give you more more data and be able to take better decisions with the rackets and, and, and strings and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Truly, the goal with it is just to be the most comfortable that you can on the court and mm -hmm. have the most and have the most fun. And you're not going to be having too much fun if you're having arm pain because you're using the wrong racket or you're shanking the ball all the time because you're using the wrong swing weight or you don't feel confident in a certain shot or you're losing all the time below your level. Um, so my goal is to make it that um, you have knowledge about those things and uh, yeah, that you can focus on the tennis, which is what's important, of course. Yeah, I think it's uh, you really want to get that kind of old cliche that it's uh, becomes an extension of your arm. You don't doubt it. You just it's up to you. You know, it, when you start thinking about whether the racket has any play in your results, it, it's not great. You need to be able to feel like it's it's on me. I have the racket that suits my style, that feels comfortable I'm, I'm not getting any arm pain I'm, I'm I can feel I can hit through the court when I get a position and then you can work on the rest all right well uh, thanks a lot Andrew this is very interesting I mean we'll do part uh, two or three if, if I look forward to that all right no problem appreciate well, it we'll man. keep in touch right <laughs> yeah take it easy take it easy ciao ciao